I think it's fair to say that I was really, really, really excited to be talking to Charlotte Hatherley again. Charlotte and I have had an amazing interview back in 2019, which you can still find on the ICMP blog. Growing up as a young kid in Italy, where I'm from, watching MTV, I remember looking at Charlotte in Ash's videos and thinking she was the coolest woman ever, and I just wanted to be like Charlotte. Charlotte is still one of my idols and she was great to talk to. We of course discussed the fact that she is now a tutor at ICMP and she teaches on the BA music production for film, TV and games as she's had quite extensive experience scoring movies, documentaries and so on. So we went through that, the life of a moving image composer and her sort of creative process when working on the image and movie which has given her quite a few awards and, and quite a lot of buzz recently. We also discussed doing session work remotely during the pandemic, but also in person and also especially sharing the studio with the legend who is Ronnie Wood when working on a track for Emil Damay's latest record. Then we also went on to talking about advice for aspiring composers. So what are the best things to keep in mind? What are the best things to do? if you want to enter that world and also touching on being a woman and especially being a mom in the music industry being a session musician touring while having babies and how this is still something that the whole of the industry really needs to think about because it's quite a struggle for many women having to give up on their career basically if they want to have a family Last but not least, we also kind of like closed up the conversation with quite a good motto by John Cage, which is basically remembering that it's lighter than you think. Stop overthinking and just enjoy the moment. Well, I hope you do enjoy the episode. I certainly loved recording it with Charlotte and I really want to thank her for her time. Happy listening. How's life for you? How's it been? this whole time you have a baby now and you've been up to many different things tell me a bit about it yeah it's been it's been good I mean in some ways the pandemic hasn't really affected me because I wasn't going to be touring anyway because I had I had Rosa in 2020 so you know she was a pandemic baby and we had lockdown in in that crazy first six months where I would have been, you know, I was in lockdown anyway, not leaving my postcode. Um, my partner was working from home. Um, so that was great. So in some ways it, we had a really lovely, like the first year was very uh, insular. Um, and then I sort of went back to ICMP. So I've been doing like two days a week teaching. So that's been great just to get back into the world. And then in between um, ICMP, I've done a fair bit of session recording work. So that was another cool thing to come out of the pandemic, the realization that you can do this stuff from home. So I did some remote recording. I had started playing guitar on Natalie and Brunia's new record because I had worked with her producer, Tim Bran, on Katie Tunstall's record, and then Imelda May's record that I recorded on um, while I was pregnant. Um, and I had started Natalie's and then the pandemic hit, but we did everything remotely. Um, we had online Zoom meetings and I would record my guitar parts, just throw them over to them and you can share the sessions. Um, 
so that was really wonderful so I've, I've done a fair bit of session work as well and I'm just continued writing music libraries which is like a slow process but I've sort of limited myself to getting at least two or three library albums done a year so it's not like a crazy I think I used to think I would be able to knock them out like once a month but now I'm like I've got one on the go at the moment which is just you know I get to whenever I can there's no there's no like deadline stress with that stuff about the the session work I was going to ask you actually about the Emile de May record because it's yes. brilliant and if I'm not mistaken you've played across all the tracks pretty much uh, I think about half the okay. tracks and you've played both guitar and bass I didn't expect to play bass I turned up for one session I got a message like from Tim the producer the night before saying can you play bass tomorrow and I was like yeah sure and I turned up and it was because Ronnie Wood was playing guitar <laughs> I was gonna get there that was crazy <laughs> like how was that because is, is that the yeah. track that Noel Gallagher sings on as well with Imelda May I think yeah just one just kiss, one kiss. Just yeah one kiss. um yeah <laughs> But yeah, but it's like a really like sleazy like bass line, like totally my kind of bass. I play the bass like a guitar player. I'm not like a a Paul McCartney <laughs> bass player. Fair. It, was just, it had or the whole thing had a real swagger to it. And my friend Alex Thomas played the drums, so it was just me and Alex, and we recorded it live. So it was me, Alex. But Alex was like behind a like a big screen, you know, for for the drums, um, and I it was just me and Ronnie like in front of each other. Uh, it was very bizarre, and it was funny really because I'm not. I mean, obviously he's a legend, and it, it's quite intimidating. But I think if it was Paul McCartney, I would have been. I would have had to have hide in the toilets. He's such a hero. Okay. But like, because for me, it's like Stones, Beatles. Like, I, I never really, I don't, I don't love the Stones, like, in, in the same way that I worship the Beatles. Right. So, um, so I think I was able to sort of get, get past it. Because <laughs> it was just very surreal. It's just Ronnie Wood, it's fine. It's just Ronnie Wood, it's fine. And he had, like, these bright yellow gloves on. And I was like, oh, I really like your your gloves because it was really cold and he said oh yeah Primark yeah yeah <laughs> was it I was expecting him to say you know, like it's really sort of expensive Prada yellow nope glove Primark yeah so that was really cool and you know those those sort of things don't happen every day most of the time you go down to the studio and, and you know the artist will be like Imelda's always there and, you know whoever you're playing with is, is going to be in the room but um most of the time that's it you know you don't see the other musicians you're playing with so actually to actually just play live in the room with someone like that was crazy and to see him play guitar was kind of amazing because he he's so incredible like really really inspiring to watch someone play the blues like that because it's not perfect it wasn't like a really polished um session player it was just like it really it was really um he had like a real groove to his playing that just was like signature you know like he's got a signature sound you're listening to it thinking oh yeah that like yeah. 
kind of invented that sound. So it's yeah. kind of amazing. And I think you can hear it from the track as well. Like it's, yeah, uh, it's it's pretty amazing. I'm not saying Ronnie Wood invented the blues because obviously he didn't. Not, but <laughs> a great that. perpetuator of the blues. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. So for her record, did you say you you did quite a lot of sessions remotely as well? Um, for Imelda, no, they they were for our album. They they were in the studio um, pre-pandemic, but we did a song, a, a cover of a Metallica song for the Metallica. It was a record they put out, which is all cover versions, and so I recorded that. We'd ordered that remotely. So that was the first thing I did. And then, yes, for, for the tracks I played in Natalie's record, they were all remote. So you were saying that you kind of like eased into that way of work. Do you think it's something that's going to just stay within your, you know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a much slower process. I mean, I'd much prefer to be in the studio with someone because I think if it's left to you to edit, uh, we also, with Imelda, we did a Joe Wiley session, a live session evening session um which obviously we couldn't do all in a room so you're playing in a band with people you've never met um and I had this big guitar solo in one of the songs oh actually well for the for the Metallica song I had wrote a big guitar solo um and if I was in a studio I'd probably do it two or three times and Tim would say oh great we've got to move on but when you're recording yourself I find it very hard to to let things go so I'll do about 20 takes and then be overwhelmed by so what stops you then after the 20th you're tired Just, and that's it it gets worse and worse and worse so I think you need to really have quite a lot of self-discipline to record yourself um and it's just much more fun to be in the studio and and see people um and have just normal conversations uh so I I would prefer to 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 do those sessions in person but just to know that I can do that and that it is actually really easy is, is great um but there's a I'm on a website called sound better um where there's hundreds and hundreds of amazing session musicians on there like producers as well all sorts of um studio people and session musicians and that's all remote so your people will contact you and ask you to put guitars and or keyboard parts down and if you like the songs um you just uh I would just do it here really quickly in like a day um so that stuff is is cool to do remotely and something else that you said you've been doing of course is teaching at ICMP and you've started teaching on the uh the new BA music production for tv film and games yeah yeah and the reason is of course you have quite a lot of experience in the field and I would like to, if you're up for it, just go through your kind of like scoring process for the um, image and movie, which has brought you quite a lot of awards yeah. and, and nominations and, and just quite a lot of um, buzz, mm-hmm. I would say. I mean, the soundtrack is amazing. So, yeah, do you want to just go through how, how does it work, really? Sure. I mean, I think the, the image and film is quite unique because it was a true story. Yeah. It's a very... <laughs> Uh, powerful documentary really about mental health. Um, Imogen was a, a young girl who had written a lot of music and a lot of songs when she was a teenager, kind of like PJ Harvey-esque. Um, and she, she, after she died, she had 
left these tapes behind, these demos behind her mother, um, wanted them to be part of the soundtrack. So it's kind of like a, a, a collaboration between me and Imogen. Um, so my score is quite separate to her songs, which are, you know, they have that sort of grittiness to them, like you can hear the the finger hitting the, the record button and the stop button and it's, it's like eight tracks and tape recording so um they sound very different to to my um soundtrack um but i did take so like for some of the themes i took some from some of her songs um and had little uh motifs um from her music in in my music and actually initially my demo process I had taken some of her music and slowed it down and turned it into beats. So I, so, so when I pitched for it, I said, I basically these, or everything you could, you hear is actually derived from Imogen's music or in some cases actually was her music. Um, so in, it, so it was, it was great because you, you're not starting from a completely um, blank canvas. And I was dealing with her, um, you know, with, 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 people and her family um so it was like a great responsibility doing that film um and uh what my process i mean i guess really you're just like responding to the, the direction that you'll be given by the producer and the director and i was very much um in contact with margot the margot mars producer from from leaf um and Alma Harrell, uh, who's a fantastic director, um, is a partner with Leaf as well. Um, so I got great guidance um, because, you know, it, that was one of my first scoring jobs. Um, I, I had done a short film before, but um, I think I, I needed, um, yeah, I needed notes and I, I followed you know, there was a temp track, which I tried to ignore, like a Neil Fromm temp track. So they it had to sort of cover the basis of um, being very, like, emotional. And um, so for that stuff, I, I actually collaborated with Audrey Riley, who's an ICMP tutor, so she played cello. because I wanted to get some, like, real organic sounds to capture those scenes that were actually very sad and emotional. Um, but then... The flip side of that was uh, Imogen had Asperger's and so she was very sensitive to noise and would get very overwhelmed in public places. So I had to, like the, the director really wanted me to capture those moments so have like extreme white noise and like quite harsh uh, electronics. So it was sort of combining those two worlds. And it took a long time because they, they, uh, went through several different edits so it was actually quite a long process to get to the the finishing line with Imogen um and then of course it ends it finishes and it has a life as a, on the festival run which can take one or two years so when that the recent nomination came through you know you're kind of like oh god that feels like it was ages ago but it's it's still like out there living its life that film which is so that that's the cool thing about working on this stuff I mean I learned so much doing that film um and I, but I think the great thing to learn is really like the process of of working with the director going to spotting sessions working with a temp track 
and working with an editor so those like really which on paper actually looks like quite boring stuff is like really really crucial fundamental to to um working as a composer and how does it work when you want to get so you you mentioned that audrey Rai was also part of the project because she played cello so how does it work like is was it down to you to decide all the different elements that you wanted to include like what's the kind of like process like would you go to the director and say this is what i have in mind can i go ahead or do you just are you just given a brief and you however you want to do it it's how does it work yeah no it was very much a so it was a spotting session so i went to Soho and watched the whole film at that stage um which was much longer than it ended up being I think the very first cut was about 45 minutes and um wrote notes of you know the, the director and and um producer were very clear about what they wanted so it very much like these are the moments where um this line has to be is really important or like this particular emotion is it's, it's like writing down mood words with the the time code um and so they're giving you they're guiding you through the process um and then it's up to you to decide on the palette so i knew that there was a particular scene where imogen's wandering through soho and she's it's so noisy and she's getting really overwhelmed and i knew that it had to be um like a sensory overload but it's up to me to decide how you know what instruments i'm going to use for that i mean to me it's like quite obvious what I, what I would do they definitely wanted strings uh for for certain moments and then there was an, another element which came from a lot of Imogen's own writing so she left behind lots and lots of of stories and notebooks and there was a really beautiful like fairy tale very dark fairy tale story that she'd written so they wanted this sort of Alice in Wonderland quite um dark and scary but wondrous um music for that so that was a, so there were like three different elements that came out of that first session i was like okay sensory overload um folk folky fairy tale darkness and strings so then you sort of you break it up into those sections like what scenes are what instruments and then you kind of decide on your on your colors so like your instrumentation what instruments are going to be the fairy tale? Okay, obvious, obvious strings. Okay, well, cello, great, Audrey, brilliant. So I did most of it here in this room. And then when I needed to um, record Audrey, I went to her house and we recorded the, the cello there. Um, so it, yeah, it, it felt like it was a, a very collaborative process but then when you actually get down to it and you start writing it's it's quite uh you know it's really all on on you it's quite it was quite full-on <laughs> it was a full-on experience and of course you're mixing and producing it yourself as well so because it was a, a low budget project so you know the you know you learn so much through taking on stuff like that um that is, is an invaluable thing. And you know, that I always say, you're always gonna be scared at the start of a project like that, but you'll you'll come out of it like so much more like experienced and 
it's the best it's the kind of the those projects are the most exciting really of like no idea how i'm gonna do this but then you do it and then you do it and succeed yeah and you know i've I've pitched for like um it's not so much like film stuff but lots of like netflix tv and adverts and at the end of last year they had like three big things came in all at once and sort of like a frenzied uh, couple of weeks pitching for all this stuff and like even for those projects that you pitch for and nothing comes of it you're still left with lots of music and it always amazes me of like how much music you can write when you've got like a crazy deadline because the pitch to pitch sometimes it's like a day or two days but for, if an image and it was like a long you know three four months which actually stretched even in like beyond that um so I'm kind of used now that I've, I've gone through that experience with Imogen and I'm, you know, working in a world where you have to like do really quick pictures, you really get used to like what works, what instruments you're going to go to, what plugins you're going to use. And you, it, everything becomes a lot, like a lot easier the more you do it. And so you're saying that these jobs come through because there's an agency that helps you, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I have a composer agent, Leland, yeah. original. So yeah, I do pitching through them and then like the odd thing comes through, like just like people you know. But most most of the yeah, the the good stuff come, comes from them, from Leland. Uh so yeah, I, I think it's like I try to just be ready for when something like that comes into my life because, you know, as soon as you get asked to pitch for something, I mean, f forget about all, all your plans for the next two, three days, because the turnaround is so crazy. And let's say for the students that you're, you started teaching to, let's say when they finish their degrees, what would be the first step to enter that world in terms of, of course, you're going to have connections and all of that. But let's say I want to get into that world. I want to start scoring even, you know anything really like a short movie a documentary low budget independent what's what's the best piece of advice you would say a good way for me and i know other composers i mean music library has been really great for me to um flex my muscles and practice i've done i've pitched for like several library albums um, in genres and styles that i that i know nothing about or that i don't know much about and so each album that i do Like I did a Scandi Noir, so I watched a lot of um, uh, Scandinavian crime drama. Um, I did, uh, God, I've done so much stuff. I mean, recently, like a global pandemic album, Economic Meltdown, like all these things. And, and there's so much research that goes into it. And even actually pitching for a Coca-Cola advert pitch that wanted a sort of John Williams E.T. And, and you end up teaching this stuff as well because, you know, there's... There are tricks to sound like John Williams um, that I've taught myself, really. Um, and I kind of think, I don't know, maybe some advice I wish I had given myself when I was younger would be to have paid attention a bit more. I had lots of opportunities to, to learn this stuff when I was younger, but it just, I kind of took it all for granted. I took being in big studios for granted and... I wish I'd learned Pro Tools a bit sooner. I wish I'd paid more attention to um, like engineering and mixing um, that sound, that side of it all. 
and I came to the library stuff quite late. I didn't really start until my thirties. So I think it's great to just like start as soon as possible, like start research. Research is such a crucial part of composing. Kind of the best part of anything creative is the research, even for my solo records, like the research of um, my last record, True Love, which was like a science fiction. It's like I just spent weeks watching sci-fi films and taking uh, lyrical inspiration and uh, writing notes. And so for Imogen, it was like, you know, being given a load of references and then you research it. And so when you're doing a library album pitch, you know, making little Spotify playlists of Danny Elfman, really listening to Danny Elfman's orchestration, what instruments he's using, what his harmony is, Hans Zimmer, how can I sound like Hans Zimmer, what chords is he using, like breaking down the harmony of this stuff is really, really helpful. And like, I think the sooner you get into the habit of, of listening and researching music that way, the, like, you'll, you'll just find that you emerge with, with all this information so that when you are thrown something, with a two-day turnaround, you're ready for it. Uh, you know, you've got that stuff um, up your sleeve already. You've done the research. You've done a little bit of homework. And I think just learning how to use a door is so important as well. I'm, I'm very self-taught at a lot of this stuff, um, but sometimes you just have to invest money in it. So I'm doing a Pro Tools course at ICMP actually next next month um because there's limitations to what i can deal with at home you know the last thing i want to do is sit in the evening and watch youtube tutorials i, I find it really hard to learn that way so i think also like if you if there are areas where there's a weakness a weakness is the wrong word if there are areas of insecurity where you think i wish i was a bit better at that i think it's 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 good to just identify it and focus on it. And um, if you can spend money where you need to spend money. I know it's hard. It's always hard to hear people saying you need to spend money, but actually some of the best investments I've ever made has been in my home studio and putting, like investing in gear and equipment, good keyboards that will last you a lifetime, um, good guitars, good pedals, good plugins, like, and understanding what they are and what to do with them because you know you don't need to be buying stuff all the time if you've got your core gear down that gear will last you for the next 10 years if you buy some great speakers they'll last you for 20 years so i think it's like understanding where to invest your time energy and money is is really crucial i don't know if that's helpful <laughs> i think i think it is definitely it's so it's it's really great to hear as well that you're like doing a course and you know I I mean I know it's I kind of take it for granted that if you if if you're creative you kind of want to you never really want to stop learning or just just like expose yeah. yourself to new stuff but it's it's, it's really reason. it's so important to hear it from you know yeah definitely and the, the reason I'm using I'm learning Pro Tools I actually started out on Pro Tools and then I just uh, started using Ableton tried to switch back to Pro Tools, but I found it really, really difficult to adapt. And But the only reason I'm using Pro Tools is because I know that for composers, if you don't know Pro Tools, you're, you're, you're screwed. It's a really crucial thing that you need to know um, 
I've heard it so many times, but I was I was watching a Christian Henson YouTube video where he there's a whole episode dedicated to how you need to learn Pro Tools to be a media composer. Um, so I finally I was like, yeah, I need I need to just do it. So I think I think you just need to like, and I knew it. I think we always know deep down where our insecurities are or where our weakness weak spot is. Um, and also, I just don't want to have to rely on people. Like, I've, I've been doing that, you know, I always do that with my final mixes. I get to a point with a mix where I'm like, oh, I kind of need to get someone in to, like I have someone I always use, but I'm now at that point where I'm, I just wish I didn't have to, you know, rely on anyone to do that. But it's it's literally beyond my capabilities to also learn how to be an amazing mixer <laughs> you know, I just simply draw the line at um I mean I'm good enough I can get a mix to a really good place but it's nowhere near um you know I couldn't do what a professional mixer does there's just no way and I don't really want to either I'm not interested in, in that stuff so I think for me like I know that and that's fine but I, I but for Pro Tools, it's like absolutely fundamental. If you want to be a media composer, you need to learn that. One of your tracks recently has been used for an amazing video that I've been watching over and over again, which is the James Webb telescope yeah. taking off in outer space. And one thing I wanted to say is that I think you definitely have a love for anything cosmic and, and space related. Yeah. I can tell. I remember the video of how deep is your love and like, yeah, yeah. I love that, the connection. So I want to know about that, but also I want to know how did that happen? Because you didn't score that for the video. So it, the track was no. selected for the video. So how did it happen? Because it's pretty amazing. Well, for my, for the solo album that that song's on, Lonely Waltz, um, that's from True Love. I quite cynically knew that I wanted to change lanes and not be a touring artist because I've been on tour since I was 18 and I got to the point in my mid-30s where I I could see I was like I want I want to have kids and um this isn't quite as fun as it used to be or I'm not loving it as much as I used to and I just wanted to do um, other things, but it's very, very hard to break out of touring because in so many ways, it's it's the main way that you make money as a musician. And and I just thought, well, I don't know how I can transition. Um, so anyway, when I did True Love, I knew I wanted to move into composing and there were a few tracks on the album that are instrumentals. Lonely Walks is, well, there's two. Lonely Walks is one of them. And I made the whole aesthetic very cinematic and I collaborated with the film director, Gavin Rothery, on my videos. Um, the artwork basically designed to look like a film poster and it was basically me saying, I want to be over here now. This is where I'm going. Um, and it really worked because... I kind of put that out there on, on Twitter and a lot of the um, aesthetics and uh, marketing around on, on social media around that album was, was space imagery and all the films, science fiction films that I had researched and, and fallen in love with. Um, so Mark McCorkran, who was the senior, senior advisor, I think, at the European Space Agency, 
um, he got in touch through through Twitter saying that he loved he loved the album video and um, I think I just like DM'd him we started talking and so he does a lot of collaborations with artists through ESA um, and he's just like a genuine music fan who'd uh, been to see Ash a few times like years and years ago and so we just stayed in touch and they put on uh, ESA collaborated with a UK festival um, called Space Rocks and so I did a gig at Space Rocks that's the only the one and only gig I did for that solo record um, and he also helps me with the How Deep Is Your Love video so you can actually go on online to the to the NASA archives and European Space Agency archives and use a lot of this stuff for free it's just out there so he sent me some uh, videos and but then he sent me the the um the pictures of the stars moving very slowly which is in the how deep is your love video over thousands and thousands of years millions of years um so i used that and so mark kindly gave that to me and then he put lonely walks in the rosetta video and for the rosetta mission and then yeah just sent me a message saying can I put this on this? And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, you can. It's so beautiful and wonderful. Um, so I think it's just like a, a friendship with Mark that's grown over the last few years. Um, and I think probably just like a, a good, it was a good idea, I think. <laughs> Finally, I had a good idea with my solo records of like, okay, I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to dress it up as a total science fiction cinematic concept album and that concept has kept me going i actually released an an ep through a music library album uh, kpm um through which is part of emi and they are like a really famous music library and i pitched an ep to them as like this is a, a long lost science fiction film soundtrack music for a film that was never made um, and, they, and some of them were so leftover songs from True Love, and I, I finished a load of new ones, and, and the How Deep Is Your Love sessions, and I finished up some new ones with Tim Allen, and um, we pitched it to them as a, as a library album and released it as a library album. And so I think moving forward, um, writing music that is... Actually, How Deep Is Your Love is being used in the trailer um, for something somebody told me the other day. I, I'm not actually sure what, what, whether it's a film or a TV thing. But in some, in some ways I'm, I'm not surprised because it sounds really cinematic. And I think that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to write music that's cinematic. And, and now we, we're in a really explosive age of um, amazing TV um, and all these streaming platforms. So I watched Dark, um, is it German? It's like a sort of very, it was on Netflix. And there's that beautiful song at the beginning of Ben Frost as a composer. And the trailerization of songs. So taking like really well known songs and making them dark and broody. I mean, it's so up my street. That's the kind of music I, I really love anyway. So now I, I'm kind of focusing on whatever songs I'm writing as a solo artist. I'm, I'm thinking much more in the lines of releasing through music libraries rather than self-releasing or through a label. I think for me personally, it's sort of like 
that much more sensible. <laughs> it's a sensible route than being on tour for another 20 years, I think. And it just means that, you know, the music library thing, I can see, I can see that it works because I've been doing it for years. It takes years for it to really accumulate, but they are now my, like, my top earning tracks on PRS. So I think it's worth students or anyone who's into like writing, it, you know, the music library albums don't have to be cinematic at all. You can have library albums in any kind of genre. Um, but it's definitely worth exploring that as an option. All this talk about space and all that, and, and cinematic makes me think of Bowie, whom you love yeah. a lot. And yeah. you've told me before, and I think you've said it like many times, that when you discovered David Bowie when you were super young, it really, really changed you completely. Mm-hmm. I would like to know, who do you think of like contemporary artists would change you? the same way if you were a teenage now? I know it's a tricky one. I mean, there's, there's, there, are, there are composers who excite me, but, but that's very different to, like someone like Mika Levi, like as a composer, like diving into that world, someone like Mika Levi is quite punk rock and exciting. But no, it wouldn't, it's, it's a very, very different kind of influence. I think r- truly, I really think that those teenage years you will never come around again with that sort of intensity. I want to move on to talking about something we briefly touched on before we started recording the episode, which is being a woman and being a mother in the industry. You've been, you started out super young and we've, we've gone through that all. So I'm not going to have you repeat the stuff that we discussed before in the very long interview that we did two years ago, but how do you think it's changed so the industry like entering the industry now as a woman as a female identifying artist or producer or composer how do you think it's different from back then I mean of course it is different but what are the pros and cons you would say yeah I think it is different it's it's a lot better than when I was in my early 20s um and where I was the only girl and I felt very, I really felt it. I felt like I was the only girl and it felt like an industry, well, especially the touring industry, it was an industry built for men really. And it was, um, there were no other women on the horizon. Um, it's very different now. And it started to change like when I, when I, joined uh, Bat for Lashes as a session player when I turned 30. Um, that's when I started to like work with women much more. And Sarah Jones was the drummer. Sarah's now playing with Harry Styles, being an absolute rock star around the world with a baby as well. And there was a female tour manager, female merch girl, um, Natasha, uh, me and Sarah, so it's five five women on the bus. After like years and years of, of being the only girl out of like ten between ten and fifteen people. And I think now that I've got like a much wider network of other female musicians and, and solo artists. Over the years of being a session musician, I've met many, many other female session session players, um, many of whom I talked to for, for that podcast that I was developing, like Holly Madge, who's an incredible drummer. She drums with Hans Zimmer, amongst other people. Uh, Sarah Jones, 
and I just incredible drummer and like just so many women that I've played with um and so I feel like there's just a really healthy network of of women that I can connect to ask advice um we all like in the early days of doing session work we all asked each other advice about because you you don't have managers as session players like how much should I charge and you know this happened is that okay and I didn't have that when I was in in my early 20s I didn't have anyone to talk to like there were so many moments on tour bus or outside of even outside of the band because you're surrounded by so many different people where I felt uncomfortable but I wasn't sure about whether what I was feeling was was the right way to feel is I like I needed to be able to talk to someone and as soon as you have those conversations they're like no you know that's not right that's weird or that was wrong or no 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 that's cool that's kind of what happens and you know that sort of um validation I suppose I didn't have um I certainly certainly didn't feel confident enough to to share it so now I, I feel like that 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 has really changed I think there are more female musicians now um I can see teaching is well in my music for the moving image class there's a um, equality between the number of male students and female students um for me one thing i'd like to focus on would be to get um women much more comfortable using technology um i'd love to do more like ableton or production songwriting masterclasses or or lessons you know focus around that because i think that's that's the one thing that um i found really empowering is is being able like moving away from being someone in a band who turns up to the studio and plays the guitar parts that they've been given to someone who i literally have spent the last week right uh, doing a cover version of a david bowie song like doing it absolutely everything on my own up here and and i've loved it i mean <laughs> what is what's the point I, i'm not actually sure but i've had a great time doing it and i can do it on my own i have the confidence to do it on my own and that's taken like 20 years to to get to there's i wouldn't couldn't really have imagined myself when i was with ash having like being able to do what i can do now because I just didn't have the confidence but I think especially moving into composing there's a real network of female composers who are all there to help each other Carly Parody has been a great friend to me she uh, wrote the line of duty um theme so she's done like six seven series of line of duty and she's been so inspirational and so helpful and she sets up these um networking lunches where you know you go and meet other female composers or female engineers female producers um so you don't feel like you know it's you're on your own and it's important to have those networks through ICMP I've connected with um Catherine the, the anchoress um I've actually done a couple of live shows with her um who's also had a baby and actually we connected over through Instagram I didn't even know she was an ICMP teacher because it's the early days of my of my uh having a baby and I was struggling and she had posted something on Instagram that really resonated with me and that's how we connected and it's funny now that I've had a kid because Sarah Jones uh has just had a baby uh, Harry Styles has you know said you know come on tour with me bring the kid 
amazing. Uh, and Natasha Khan from Back Lashes, she's had a baby. Um, so, so now these are conversations of like, okay, how are we going to keep our creativity? How can we keep our work going whilst having a kid? How can we keep our relationships going even? You know, I was, Natasha's out in LA, we've been messaging, you know, but instead of talking about boy trouble or touring or writing, it's like you're talking about kids and, you know, how to keep our careers going. You know, very different conversations, but, you know, thank God they're, they're there. You know, it's very, very important to have these conversations and, have, and to have visibility as well as women on tour with kids. I mean, it's, it's um it's that's that's the area that is still terrible and still needs a lot of work and i saw the paloma face documentary about her struggles with taking her kids on tour you know she's a major major label artist um and i just thought god if it's hard for you it's going to be so hard for the majority of touring musicians who don't have that financial support behind them so that area of the music industry still really needs so much more work. Like for me, I knew that I couldn't tour and have a kid and it shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that. But unfortunately that's, that's the way it is at the moment. So it would be great if um, in the next 10, 15 years that that turns around, but I don't know. To be honest, I really don't know what it would take for that to change very simple to me it's like you it's not just us having a kid you know it's two people involved but we are the ones who are affected yeah yeah you know what i mean it's like you you have you ever heard anyone saying to a man touring session musician oh you just had a kid why are you here yeah yeah how do you how do you deal with it it's um it's so simple if i think about it but it's um it's made me remember uh my early days touring so just like pre-internet first few years with ash so when you're on tour you're on a two-year tour and you're, you're just gone it's very hard to maintain contact with home and i was thinking about it like most of the roadies on that tour had kids but it never ever crossed my mind to ask them about it or like they were unseen and now that I've got a kid, I look back on that and I think, wow, there's like months and months away from home with, with no Facebook, no WhatsApp, no Skype. Like, that's really brutal. And it's, it's, it's not great for men either to be in that situation. It's really tough. And so I, you know, the thought of, I mean, obviously I wouldn't tour like that anymore. And what I was talking to, uh, talking about with other musicians who are mums it was like we'd have to you'd have to root your touring a completely different way it would be a, a much more um wouldn't be such a brutal regime and that's great because to be honest I'm, I'm at that time of my life with touring where I don't really want to to do two weeks straight touring without a day off you know I I'm that's just not what I want to do anymore. So I think you have to think about your touring in a completely different way. Hotels rather than vans and tour buses. And, you know, can we bring a nanny on tour who can look after kids? You know, who takes the kids during soundcheck? Can our partners come on tour with us? Who's going to pay for that? You know, where, where does that extra expense get covered? And, you know, there's so many things that you have to think about. However, it can 
it can absolutely be done, I'm sure about it. But what we need is, um, you know, I don't want to have to think of like, no, no, actually, it is fun to think about touring with, um, you know, a bunch of female musicians who have kids and like how that would work. Can you imagine it? Has it ever been done? I mean, I'm sure it has, but like, I don't know about it and I want to see it. I want to, I want to know about like, how can you do that? How does it work? Can we start like a touring kindergarten? Yes, exactly, exactly. Because my only reference for it is Paul and Linda taking their kids on their private wings jet, you know? And yeah, part of me is like, God, that would be so awesome. It it's so, so sweet. Fun. But of yeah, course, it's, it's you know, you have to have that. Yeah, you have the to money, have, like, <laughs> mainly. Yeah, you have to have the resource, the money, which is like why it's so wonderful to see Sarah touring because, you know, Harry, styles is is able to support her and he's a good guy he's like well you've had a kid great because he wants to do it yeah and she's yeah. an amazing drummer so you know it's great to hear stories like this it's promising it's probably yeah, going to take a long time but it's promising it's promising because i think in 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 all areas of society we need to get rid of this idea of having a baby equals disappearing and like stepping out for a few years at the same time I I firmly believe that it's not possible to do everything so it, it's really like it's quite a big shock to come from being a pretty much a single touring musician working on your own terms most of the time to having to really prioritize and plan your your time time is so important because if you're not careful that your creative time will get um it will just just disappear it will be it will get smaller and smaller and smaller so you have to be really protective of it so in some ways it's made me a lot more disciplined with my creativity than if i was just touring and not really worrying about it so i'm very i'm much more aware of it and, and much more like protective of it which is actually a surprising, a surprisingly good thing to come out of like having a, a mad 18 month old, like she's not a baby anymore. She's like a proper little thing. She's a proper human being. <laughs> what have you got coming up next in terms of all these projects that you have to uh, time manage? So I'm, I'm working on a, a solo record with um an artist called ben christophers ben was a musical director for bat for lashes um and pretty much every single session job i've had has been connected to ben in some ways when i was musical directing the artist nakane ben had produced his record and he basically put me forward for it um ben's a, a fantastic producer and songwriter so we're, we're collaborating on a record together which is incredible after all this time to actually be writing together um for i'm hoping for a a music library that's my that's my plan um i have other other um writing projects that i'm working on um that I'm trying to carve out time for. Um, 
and the teaching and I'm doing a lot a lot of sort of uh, private tuition which I started to do during the pandemic um, and I'm doing a lot more of at the moment um, so we'll see there's a few there's a few things I'm I'm um, hopeful for and I, I I think really what I want from 2022 is to have more fun and to to enjoy everything much more because I feel like things got quite heavy things have been quite heavy like for everyone in the last two years and then on top of that all I've had a baby and on top of that I've stopped touring um and I'm really just trying to like keep keep focused on what it is that I want to do and it's very tempting in, 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 these, in these times, especially during holiday times, because I'm someone who likes to be very structured. And when suddenly when there's no routine, um, I'm just like, what am I doing? I'm just sort of, I don't like to feel um, um, untethered. So I, I, I need to sort of set myself projects and goals. <laughs> It's so annoying for everyone else around me. But but actually, what I'm what I'm trying to say is, uh, I'm trying to be a lot more relaxed about this that stuff because when you've got a baby in front of you, you're kind of like forced to be present and in the moment. And also, like this time with her is going to go so quickly. Um, so I really want to just enjoy it because I think if you're working on a project like creatively, if th if things are going great, everything's amazing. I'll be in the best mood, but if things are going like badly or slowly, or I haven't quite figured out something yet that I'm writing, it actually really you carry it with you and it permeates everything. So that will affect my my mood and my my interaction with people. And as a creative person, so you know, up until five years ago, I was quite you know. You can you can be that kind of artist when you're a single person, but you know there are you can't be that kind of artist. Well, I don't want to be that kind of artist, which is very it's basically a very selfish pursuit. So I'm trying to sort of take the edge off all of that and be a lot more um, like just enjoy what I do a lot more without any of the constant stress. And and I say that to my students. There's a, there's a, a, a lovely John Cage. John Cage was a great a great teacher and he had his rules John Cage's rules and one of it was um it's lighter than you think and and that I really tried to take that on board because sometimes with music everything's a hustle and you're trying to get this off the ground you're trying to finish blah, blah, blah. everything's so like da, 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 da. and sometimes you just think it's just fucking music it's so much lighter than you think it is try to enjoy it and take Take the pressure off. I think that's so. That's my mission for twenty twenty two. Not that you asked. What my I think it's was. a great life motto. Actually, I'm 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 envisaging a tattoo on my arm. It's lighter it's than you think. I'm loving so it. And I <laughs> so agree with that. And not just about music. Again, life motto. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, like it's um it's been crazy, and I think I've been separated from my family in Australia for, I mean, they haven't even met Rosa yet. Um, and I'm just waiting for those borders to be open. And I just want to get over there. And, you know, it's made me so sad. And 
so a lot of what I've written for this um, solo album that is in process is, is connected to that. And thank God I've had that outlet. So it's been really important um, to have that. Because there's so much, so, I mean, there's so, so much sadness that everyone's been through um, over the last two years. So, you know, it's really important to me that I keep, I keep that going because it's, 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 it's my therapy, you know, it's very, it's like as important as doing yoga every day or eating healthy or, you know, it's, it kind of cleanses my mind and I, I really need that in my life or else I'm a total nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you, Laura.